I think that it's going to be our goal on this podcast for 2017 to try to get Matt to see the beauty of soccer, (laughs) to see the joy of it. Because once you're in that matrix, it makes perfect sense. It's not that I haven't tried. And I do really enjoy watching World Cup soccer because the stakes and I like the whole cultural phenomenon of the World Cup. But if I'm going to watch a game where I don't know when something interesting is going to happen, I'm probably going to watch hockey because that at least moves faster and guys get into fights with each other. In soccer, though, sometimes the most exciting thing might be coming from what the fans are yelling. You know, I mean, there's such political motivations behind club teams, let alone. That doesn't make for an interesting game to watch. That's a whole meta game. That's an interesting sport to follow. I think seeing the game live really helps. It's definitely a really cool stadium experience. For one, I think that there's more parallels between theater with soccer than there is between, say, American football or basketball or even hockey. You have just the one intermission, you know, the two acts. There's a lot of buildup that you have to pay attention to. And you may have that ultimate moment, that apex, but... Some of the most important things that could be happening might be away from the ball on the field. And just the pure touches of like Zinedine Zidane, just like heel flicking (laughs) over Ronaldo. I mean, it doesn't even culminate in a goal, but just watching him move with the ball like that ball is magnetized to him. It's insane. You know, if I'm going to watch a sport, I would like for there to be something that's really engaging my attention the whole time. And if that's not going to be the case, then I want a heads up like when it's going to be boring or or when something's going to happen. The trade-off is you only have to pay attention for 45 minutes and then you get a break and then there's another 45 minutes. I think the comparison to like a play is is so apt and I've never mm-hmm. heard that before, but I think it makes a lot of sense. It's two acts. If you're watching international, there is a 99% chance that the entire stadium will erupt in unison singing a song. There's like a a musical component to it. (laughs) There's a lot of theatrical elements to the game. You don't just have, like in baseball, it's players coming on and off all the time. You can rotate people in, pinch hitters. In soccer, you get three changes in a squad of 11 for 90 minutes. And so, I mean, a lot more weight is going on everybody's role on that field, whether they're a designated scorer or whether they never even touch the ball. So... Every move that they make is is that much more crucial, and there's no standing around for it. Like, they have to be moving and thinking moving and almost be melded in. I feel like hockey I can watch because there's parallels in hockey that there aren't from other sports. Just the intuitive level that you have to be with everybody because it's just the body of it. And if you're watching it in the stadium, also the geometry of it is fascinating because with soccer everyone is looking for angles and so all the moves are connected like in triangular patterns and so when you start looking at it that way and watching the teams move that way it's it's an amazing experience so that's the goal for 2017 you guys want to talk about 2016 for a while
You are listening to the Liquid Flannel Podcast. We are recording on December 27th. Hoping everyone's had a great holiday season. I'm one of your hosts, Chuck, the giver of this love of soccer. And I'm Brendan, the giving tree of the podcast. I give and I give until there's nothing He left. does all of the all of the lick work for this podcast. And I'm Matthew, uh, who got two dry erase boards for Christmas that I was really excited about, and everyone told me that I was being Leslie Nope. We are at the end of 2016, and um, reflecting back on the year. What a year it has been. It has definitely been a year. <laughs> it has had some ups and some major downs, I think. We can all agree on that. Peaks and valleys, if you will. <laughs> More like a death value with the occasional mesa in the middle of it. I can say personally for me, there's been some very positive things that have happened in 2016. But if you look at it on a news perspective and politics perspective, I guess coming to the end of it, it just feels like looking back at the show Lost after seeing that last episode <laughs> and being like, well, I mean, there's... It, there is entertaining things. There's good things about it. I just can't get past how terrible the ending was. <laughs> that was a great analogy. 2016 lost. <laughs> what was the smoke monster of 2016? The lost year is actually a pretty good analogy for 2016, given how many people just want to completely forget about it. I actually never finished it. I was watching episode to episode and I kind of dropped off of it. And I was like, I'll just watch it when the season's over. And then in season six or the last season, whatever it was. They were like, yeah, it just was not a great ending. Didn't really like it. So I was like, maybe I just won't watch it. So yeah. I literally have never seen it. I, I, I should go back. I'm having kind of a similar experience right now because I finally got around to watching some Westworld yesterday. And I think it's a really cool concept for a show. There's some amazing, you know, it's a puzzle box show where you don't have the whole story and they're just amazing performances in it. But we're maybe on the third or fourth episode, and I finally noticed in the credits that it said executive producer J.J. Abrams. And I was like, ah, oh, man, it's it's going to be one of those stories that starts off really strong and interesting, and they introduce so much stuff that there's no way to wrap it up concisely, and we're just going to be disappointed at the end. But I, I'm, I'm holding out hope because it's still, you know, I'm still enjoying the show. Yeah, it's a problem for a lot of shows. I mean, it, it's difficult to end a lot of things to, to have a satisfying ending means you almost have to plan the ending from the start but these shows aren't designed ever designed to end except for babylon 5 where that was exactly what they did and you can watch that whole show and things from the first season are coming back at the very end and you go oh man I'm, my mind is blown that they planned this out so well so much old media is like becoming more relevant in in this year of 2016 uh star trek d space 9 was kind of a ripoff of babylon 5 mm -hmm. in a strange way uh, and that has some definite parallels where there's kind of this like galactic civil war happening and, and they're kind of caught in the middle. Religious fanatics and fascists clashing, you know, across the galaxy. 2016 was the year where Game of Thrones went past the books that had been written. So those showrunners do know in broad strokes how that story is supposed to end. But they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants at this point because George R.R. R. Martin can't finish a book you know what people are going to get in the finished novelization is probably different from what us hbo fans are going to get yeah that'll be a really interesting experience now that the show you know the book is coming out after the show but having kind of been written before the show 
um, at least for this next book, and who knows how long after that it's going right. to take. He could go just a totally different direction and really make it a really interesting turn. Well, okay, I mean, here's a here's a blessing of 2016. Uh, George R. R. Martin, one of the unhealthiest guys. Oh, There's, it's only the 27th. Be careful. All right, no, fair enough, but he hasn't died yet. If he dies after this <laughs> podcast, it's going to look real bad. Yeah, we are going to get letters. We are going to get emails. At liquidflannel at gmail.com. Or at liquid underscore flannel on Twitter. It can be a dangerous place, but it's our last best hope for peace. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2258. The name of the place is Babylon 5. One of the pieces of media that I have been uh, wanting to revisit is the movie Children of Men. Is that Clive Owen? It's Clive Owen. Alfonso Cuaron directed it. Julianne Moore's in it as well. It's set in kind of a near future. The basic plot is that it's the future and inexplicably everyone is infertile. So there's no children. And then one baby shows up and they have to like protect the baby and like get it out of Britain, which is ruled by fascists who are a backlash to some sort of migrant crisis. And it's like, wow, this is, this movie is looking very prescient right now. Wow. Yeah. We saw a lot of prescient media this year. I think we've talked about it before, but Hamilton, the musical, it doesn't speak to world events the way children of men does, but it certainly speaks to political events where you had, politicians who were really going for the throat and really not holding back, um, trying to promote their own ideas. Uh, I think that contributes to the rise of that musical and the, you know, national consciousness. Hamilton is, is kind of the one piece of media that kind of defined my year. I know that the show kind of predates 2016, but 2016 was also when it really rose to that cultural prominence, even above just being a, a hit Broadway show, to mm -hmm. really become kind of a, a phenomenon, for lack of a better word. It's a tale that humanizes politics and humanizes the Founding Fathers in ways that other media haven't dared to approach. And it really does make you feel just like, yeah, these were just young dudes who really had no idea what they were doing. And they just stumbled upon, you know, something that has been so phenomenally successful. And to just think about how there are still parallels to to modern day. People say, like, there's never been a crazier, more outrageous election than than this with Donald Trump. You know, there was like Jefferson and Aaron Burr. It got pretty dirty. I feel like everyone felt this was the first because it felt cranked up a notch or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, maybe it felt a little bit more flagrant in your face all the time. So <laughs> but I haven't, I've actually not listened to Hamilton the musical yet or seen it. So you've seen bits and pieces, but yeah, yeah. you should definitely give it a thorough listen, but it is a commitment for sure. Cause it's like three hours long. Mm -hmm. When I drive to Indiana, I'll, I'll listen to it. Oh, that'd it. be perfect. Yep. It's a great listen, and I think it, it is also really, it rewards re-listening because it's so lyrically dense. You can go to Genius.com and get the annotated oh, lyrics yeah. that really can delve into the backstory of these tiny kind of throwaway lines 
mm-hmm. that'll be like, this is referencing this letter that they have that they sent where they said this specific thing and then we wrote it into the song. So also the density of both musical theater and hip hop references throughout it, the way he tells the story, phrases that he's using in early songs come back at the end of the show in a completely different context. But you've got that, you know, it's it's almost the show is kind of palindromic almost where at the beginning he's saying, I'm not going to throw away my shot, which is him saying, I'm not going to waste this opportunity. Whereas in the duel with Aaron Burr at the end, he does throw away his shot in the sense that that means when you're dueling, where you, like, fire into the air or into the ground or something like that. Don't be shocked when your history book mentions me. I will lay down my life if it sets us free. Eventually you'll see my ascendancy. And I am not thrown away my shot. I am not thrown away my shot. I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not thrown away my shot. But Chuck, if you weren't uh, listening to Hamilton, what were you listening to in 2016? I wasn't listening to very much that came from the year 2016. For some reason, I felt this need to to go back to a lot of older stuff. But in terms of things that came out in 2016, I would say that I definitely listened to uh, that new Banks and Steels album that we had uh, featured on the Mm. podcast earlier. I listened to the new Run the Jewels RTJ3 album. That was Dynamite. And Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love. The song Redbone, if you listen, (laughs) look up the the rap genius on that. Okay. Um, It's weird. (laughs) There's one line, they're like, this is an interesting, interesting metaphor he uses. Peanut butter chocolate cake is a a very sweet, very rich dessert. And while Kool-Aid is also sweet, they don't pair well. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm like That's deep. Yeah, that is deep, you know. (laughs) So See, this is kind of why I follow Liquid Flannel on Twitter, because you guys also tweet all of the references that we make in the show. And then I can click through to those and go, oh, that's what they were talking about. Education with your podcast. <laughs> we're all learning here. This this whole thing has been a learning process. Absolutely. It's been a fun learning process, though, for 2016. And, you know, we've only been doing it for a couple months, but I feel like the sky's the limit for 2017. So, so what else is on the best ofs? I thought it might be kind of fun to talk about movies. The best movie I saw in 2016 was Arrival, which is just one of the neatest, tightest sci-fi stories I think I've ever seen put to film. It's a very cerebral film, doesn't really go in for a whole lot of, you know, I I think there's a tendency with sci-fi in Hollywood to be a lot of things blowing up and big spectacle. And this movie was not that. It was a very human story. I thought that was nice. I, I thought it was a great way to get more people thinking in that speculative fiction mode. So I, that, I think that was my, my favorite film of 2016. One of the things that I've heard about that film is that people compare it to Contact. Do you, do you feel like that's a, an appropriate comparison? I think it's a fair comparison. Yeah, I, I remember walking out and going, there were some elements here that were definitely, they were hitting the same emotional notes I think a lot with with contact. It's a different sort of story. Contact is more of a uh, like a human drama that has to do with faith and things like that. Arrival has a lot more to do with 
what would it actually be like to interact with an alien species where even our concept of language is different and how do you how do you reach out to that kind of an entity mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. yeah i think emotionally and also aesthetically arrival is definitely a, a descendant of contact right. yeah contact was definitely one of my favorite kind of like 90s cerebral <clears throat> sci-fi films so i'm glad that that kind of legacy and that lineage is still is still making it alive and kicking right. still going strong well, I'll say that I like uh, Jeremy Renner a lot more than I like Matthew McConaughey. I watch a lot of movies. It's usually just kind of going along with a crowd of people and stuff. So half the time, I'm not even really paying attention. But I will say <laughs> that, you know, ever since being a kid, one of the genres that I like is based on a true story type sporting movies. And so I guess one movie that does pop out for me from 2016 was that movie Race about the uh, Jesse Owens story. I will say that it's somewhat infuriating thinking about the legacy of Jesse Owens and then how he interacted with the um, Olympic track team that wanted to boycott the 1968 Olympics. It was a good depiction of that Olympics, especially since that that Olympics was historical on so many levels. I mean, that Olympics had the first major cinematography in terms of... um, Being televised and broadcast. Yeah, exactly. And and they depicted some of that in that movie, uh, Race. So that was cool. One of my favorite movies from this year uh, was Kubo and the Two Strings, which is a stop-motion animated movie kind of from the same studio that did The Nightmare Before Christmas is like kind of the most famous ones that a lot of the same people, they kind of moved off, formed their own studio, and they made a movie Coraline, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a Neil Gaiman adaptation that was also stop motion. The stop motion animation is like, you can't even tell that it's stop motion because they used like high-tech 3D printing for the faces. So, I mean, it almost looks like a Pixar CG film, but it has that kind of handmade quality still. The, the basic plot of the movie is it's like kind of a classic hero's journey where Kubo is a boy and his parents were demigods or something and they got married, but then they got cursed. And so he has to go on a hero journey to break the curse. But they do it in this motif of origami folding, which is just such a gorgeous, beautiful art style. And he can use his guitar which is the Kubo and the two strings part. So he has this like fancy guitar thing that he can play to kind of like do magic with origami as kind of like a superpower almost. Hmm. Um, really beautiful, great, you know, music. The animation is just mind blowing. Very cool. Speaking of animation, I did see Zootopia this year and that was a good movie. Oh man. Was that this that, year? It must, it must that? be. That is a great <clears> film. <throat> it was a great film. I thought that the storyline was very apt for today i don't think anyone learned anything from it (laughs) but but that's just the society that we're in one of my favorite things about that movie is somebody mentioned that it most likely takes place in the same universe as the old disney robin hood oh man where you have all of these animals living together in a society uh where some of the like animal kingdom motifs carry over but for the most part everyone's just living together in a human society i love that fan theory so much that's amazing i really hope they make more films in this universe i think the universe is really cool 
So what else about 2016? Well, I mean, I think it's hard to talk about 2016 without talking about, you know, some of the big political things that happened. Uh, <laughs> the rights of the alt-right, uh, Brexit. Not today. Um, election of Donald Trump. <laughs> Not today. No. I think we could get through an episode without talking about any of that garbage. I don't think we can get through an episode without talking about it, evidenced by the fact that we just did. But... I also agree. One of my New Year's resolutions is to try to read less depressing news. Which means not reading the, the news. news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Corporate media is pretty bad, but I don't know. Listening to an episode of, like, Democracy Now!, that's pretty pretty raw, you know. They're talking about some real stuff on there, so I don't know. Any way you look at it, it can be pretty bad. It has been a pretty dire year in a number of ways. There have been things to spotlight. There have been happy things that happened this year. Too. Actually, Absolutely. one of the things that we should talk about, like, what are some of your favorite podcasts from 2016? I'm happy to lead this off and even, even give NPR a little bit of free publicity here because the NPR One app is amazing. It's basically Pandora for NPR. So you tell it generally what you're into, and then it will just play an endless stream of amazing podcasts and news bumps and little pieces of music and media. It's outstanding. So I've been exposed to all sorts of podcasts uh, in in the past couple of months. Um, I think one of my favorite ones is from Gimlet Media. It's called Science Versus. Uh, where you have this woman who has, she's Australian, she has the goofiest sense of humor, but she looks at, it's, it's almost like Mythbusters or something, the, the podcast, where she'll look at some kind of conventional wisdom and then say, we're going to put this expectation or this cultural construct versus science and then she talks to a bunch of researchers and looks at the actual data and she can verify or deny claims. Um, so one of the first episodes I listened to was science versus gun control, where she looked at, is there a problem with guns in the first half of that one? And then the second half was uh, the different things that people promote uh, for making guns more safe. Do these actually get borne out in the data uh but she's also looked at other things like um attachment parenting or the g-spot science versus the g-spot was a really great episode and not a thing that your local npr station is probably going to play um but very very interesting yeah one of my favorite shows from this year is also a gimlet media show uh <clears throat> reply all uh oh, which yeah. is a podcast about the internet and about crazy things that happen on the internet, basically. And they did some great episodes this year. They did a great deep dive into like the origins of Pizzagate. They did one of all about Pepe. Um, they where they interviewed the creator of Pepe. <laughs> yeah. Who's not super pleased about how his images have been appropriated. As far as I've read, they do this amazing segment called yes, yes, no, where somebody finds something very confusing on the internet and they try to kind of uh, quiz the other people to see, like, do you know what this weird tw Twitter joke is? I don't understand it. And then they just do a deep dive, and they're like, this is an inside joke from a fanfic 
that is a crossover between Fallout 4 and My Little Pony that's very popular. <laughs> uh, so just crazy stuff like that. One of the podcasts that I had kind of picked up in 2016 is called Edge of Sports with Dave Zirin. Dave Zirin writes for The Nation and has written other um, has written several books, including about Muhammad Ali. But he definitely takes a journey through the political side of sports related to everything from like Colin Kaepernick's um, situation this year or actions this year, rather. But everything from, you know, the uh, Black Power salute at the Olympics, all sorts of things. Um, he even talks about like the Rosenbergs that were executed for... I guess, what was it, treason um, or espionage or something? So th- was it, it a just... sports espionage? Oh, no, but uh, <laughs> but the son. So the episode uh, is called How the Feds Executed My Parents, Michael Mirapool, Son wow. of the Rosenbergs. I guess they talk about his efforts to clear his mother's name and the importance of the Brooklyn Dodgers in their lives. Wow. So it really kind of weaves sports into a whole bunch of stories related to politics. It doesn't necessarily have to be the direct politics of sports, but just, you know, how sports influenced maybe a decision somebody made. Podcast for people that don't know a whole lot about interesting moments in sports or didn't consider themselves sports fans to kind of get into sports from a different perspective. When it comes to valleys in 2016, it's hard to not think about the um, influential lives that have left us and passed away. I did put a list together, and you guys can feel free to jump in at any point. But um, just in just in the category of uh, you know beloved actors, this year was awful. Uh, Gene Wilder, uh, Carrie Fisher, just today. Yeah. Um, Ant- Anton Yelkin? Oh, Yelchin? Yes. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. From Star um, Trek. Oh, yeah. Right. Star Star Trek. Trek, yeah. Florence Henderson, uh, Abe Vigoda, who we've been betting on his on his Deadpool for years. Yeah, he was a guy point. that 20 years ago you'd be like, I can't believe that guy's still alive. And <laughs> yeah, he just died this year. Uh, Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we had some major music deaths. I mean, some major music deaths. Uh, Leonard Cohen, who was mm-hmm. a genius, a, I think an underappreciated genius. Um, David Bowie, who was a genius appreciated in his own time. Um, and George Michael and Prince, Prince. both died this year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Bowie, George Michael, and Prince are also important to me as someone who works in men's issues because... These were all three men who really defined for themselves what masculinity looked like in a way that I think is important for men and masculinity culture. Um, so that was, I think that was a major loss in 2016. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that I was actually a little bit surprised by how much respect George Michael received in the hip-hop community. Not necessarily with well-documented, you know, instances, but some of the guys at work, you know, some of my friends, people that even listen to the podcast had, uh, have a hip hop Facebook group, um, outside the box. And they had a lot of rest in peace, you know, 
um, articles about George Michael. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize, you know, that that dude, I mean, for a culture that has been stereotypically homophobic in a lot of ways in their music and just kind of the history of it, in some ways that kind of surprised me, but in a way that was like heartening to see. So, but it still sucked that it happened. I know with George Michael that there, that he had had maybe pneumonia a couple of years ago mm. and had had a tracheotomy. So he had had some health problems. Prince was way more of a surprise to me. Well, and what's been difficult is that it seems like the people, a lot of the people who died this year have not been, they're not in their dotage, you know, they're, right. they're older. They're like the last generation of entertainers or politicians or whatever, but they're not what we would think of as infirm. Right. Um, there have been some Lugoda. real surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They're not. They're not able to go to. Well, and Scalia passed away this year. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. But you know, Scalia wasn't the only death of a politician or a world mover or something like that. I mean, you had Janet Reno died. Uh, you know, as kids of the '90s, that's a name that we heard every day for several years. Oh wow! Basically. Yeah. You know, um, Gwen Ifill, who oh. you know, I don't know if you follow pbs news but she was just exceptional Mm -hmm. you know and then you know just some such a strange mix of people fidel castro finally died you know the cia couldn't kill him but 2016 could uh you know and and, uh speaking of people who couldn't be killed uh elie wiesel the Uh. you know the man who survived the holocaust and then went on to write a hundred books about oppression and authoritarianism and the human condition. Um, John Glenn, who took us to literally to new heights or at least, you know, America and Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I feel like we need to pour a sip on the concrete right now. (laughs) Yeah, man. I'm sure we're forgetting a few people. That was quite a list. There's a couple days left. So hopefully that list doesn't grow anymore, but with Carrie Fisher, uh, literally dying as we record this uh, earlier in the day. It feels like the 2016 surprises. You never know what to expect next. No. Even no. with three days left. Well, you know, I'm ready for a high note. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think after all that, we, need, we absolutely need to take it out on a high note. Yeah. Here. The last high note for 2016, fellas. Let's do this. <laughs> so... I'll say for my high note, uh, for 2016, I've had a lot of high notes actually, but my main high note has been connecting, making meaningful connections with people that I knew years ago and finally reconnecting with people. That's, that's been a great experience that's happened on multiple occasions this year. And I've been really grateful for that. So. Some of them listen to this podcast. You know who you are. I really appreciate some, some it. Some of them are in, on this podcast. Some of them are on this podcast. You know who you are. Uh, but yeah, it, that's been one of the most uplifting parts for me about this year. Absolutely. Uh, doing this podcast and hanging with you guys has, has definitely been a high note for me this year as well. Well, both of you scooped my high note. It was the triple high yeah. note supreme. Yeah, the the triple high note. No, it's it, it it has been, and it's been a really great project. Our longtime listeners will know that every episode is a little bit different, 
And that's been because this has been a really interesting and fun learning experience for all three of us, I think. And that's been really nice. It's nice to try to tackle a new medium and learn how to do it to the best of our abilities. So that's certainly been a high note. Uh, another one for me is that uh, I have a new niece uh, who is just goofy and has a little fat Buddha face and I'm really looking forward to getting to know her. We don't approve of body shaming on the liquid flannel podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh no, no. That was, that was body delight. <laughs> right. I mean, your niece is cool, but I'm still going to have to say Hamilton's the best. <laughs> That's the high note. For <laughs> I, I'll, I'll vote for that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for hanging with us this year, everybody. Absolutely. And you can follow us on Twitter at uh, liquid underscore flannel. At, and you can follow me, Chuck Williams, at shaggy2trope, T-O-O-T-R-O-P-E. And I'm Brendan Williams, and you can follow me at Brendan Williams on Twitter with one L. And I'm Matthew Hodges. You can follow me at Matt the Great with a W. And Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, Happy New Year. Salutations, May 2017. Make all your wildest dreams come true.